The Jerusalem Channel is made possible by viewer support. Thanks for watching. Jerusalem is always inspiring to visit during the Jewish holidays, and the Biblical Feast of Tabernacles is coming up in October. Join us in the City of the Great King for five nights of joyful celebration. Exploits Ministry has planned a special tour package, including participation with thousands of Israelis and guests from all over the world in the annual Jerusalem March. So bring your flags, banners, and walking shoes. We'll also explore many of the ancient wonders and spiritual highlights around the city, and we'll have a time of feasting and celebration. This is a Holy Land pilgrimage that you'll long remember. So plan to come up to Jerusalem and join our Exploits Ministry Tour, October 16 to 21. For details, visit the Exploits Ministry website. The Apostle Paul had a stern warning for his young protege, Timothy. He said, but you must know this, in the last days perilous times shall come. And indeed, each new day seems to be even more perilous than yesterday, especially for Christians and Jews. Shalom, I'm Christine Darg. Every new day has its own battles to face. For some people, the first fight of the day is just to climb out of bed in the morning. When the alarm clock goes off, our reflex is to hit the snooze button. But according to the Chabad.org website, we should steel ourselves to jump out of bed like a lion. That's why the first instruction in the Code of Jewish Law is, be strong as a lion when you wake up in the morning to serve your Creator. The fact that you're awake is a sure sign that there's still work for you to do in this world. Apparently, God Himself believes that you're up to the task. So first thing in the morning, the Jews can either sing or say in Hebrew, I offer thanks to you, living and eternal King, for you have mercifully restored my soul within me. Great is your faithfulness. That's the Modeani morning prayer, which can be sung or recited while still lying in bed. The point being to concentrate our first conscious moments and thoughts on the Almighty. And that's a wonderful practice to thank God for the gift of life, especially in these times when there's so much flagrant disregard for life. Well, Rise and Shine is a wake-up call for soldiers to get up and shine their boots. But I prefer Rise and Shine as a description of the redeemed. In fact, Isaiah 61 declares, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. And why? Verse 2 says, For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and His glory will be seen upon you. What a marvelous promise for these days we're living in. So many prefer to walk in darkness, but believers are commanded to reflect the radiance of the Lord and give people hope and courage during perilous times. 
A recent Gallup poll showed that people are generally stressed out and worried more than ever about the future. I believe they need the comfort of truth that shines as we rise up and love people with the love of the Lord. Paul said to Timothy in an imperative way, you must know that perilous times are coming in the last days. And the term last days refers to the Hebrew phrase, aharat hayamim, meaning the end of days prior to Messiah's coming. No doubt the Apostle Paul was speaking of the period leading up to the great tribulation, the birth pangs of Messiah, a great time of testing. Some Jewish sages and scholars have speculated that the birth pangs will last for 70 years, with the last seven years being the most intense period of labor, the Great Tribulation. The climax of the Great Tribulation is called the Great Day of the Lord in the Bible. And nobody can be interested in eschatology, that's the study of the end times, without studying verses such as Obadiah 1.15. And what a teaching this verse is. Let me read it to you. The day of the Lord is near for all nations. And God says, as you have done, it will be done to you. Your deeds will return upon your own head. The warning that God's day of reckoning is coming is supplemented by the announcement here that all the enemies of Israel shall be remembered and they're going to suffer just retribution. They're going to suffer the fate that they've inflicted on others. There's going to be great reversals of human judgment. And although the Bible teaches that judgment definitely begins with the household of God, it doesn't end with the house of God. As the Apostle Peter wrote, if judgment begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who disobey the gospel of God? Well, I want to encourage every discouraged believer today. And at the same time, I want to give notice to every impudent oppressor of the people of the book that the troubles of the righteous are going to soon be over, but the despair of the wicked will be eternal. You see, I want you to be assured that this apostate world is not going to continue with mere mortals running the show indefinitely. You see, in 2 Timothy chapter 3 in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul gave us a list of the characteristics of the last days. He prophesied that people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, boastful, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, hating good, being treacherous, traitors, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And Paul went on to say that they'll exhibit a make-believe, fake piety. Yet they'll live in defiance of the power of God. And Paul told Timothy to avoid these people. And we may think that the apostle was describing people outside the churches. But according to the context of this chapter, Paul was linking this long litany of evil attributes to false teachers and religious con artists who will compromise the gospel. They are the ones, Paul said, who will be unholy, slanderous, 
devoid of self-control, brutal, treacherous, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God and so forth. Wow, think about that. But we really shouldn't be too surprised that these kinds of people are going to be in the churches because after all, Paul said, even Satan masquerades as an angel of light. But he goes on in 2 Timothy 3, saying that these false teachers will come to an end just like the magicians who oppose Moses in Pharaoh's court. While the pursuit and study and recovery of our Hebrew roots is infinitely fascinating, simply put, trusting in the sacrificial life, in the death and resurrection of the Savior, Jesus, Yeshua, and his righteousness that's imputed to us by faith, that is the central teaching and summary of all the scriptures. Amen. Well, meanwhile, mass media, fake news, and anti-Christian, anti-Semitic religious fanatics all tempt us to be discouraged by where the world is heading. I always try to explain why anti-Semitism keeps persisting, even after the horrors of the Holocaust. And the Bible explains why. The Jewish people are continually attacked by satanic forces because the evil one knows his time is short before the return of Jesus. And Satan is determined to try to destroy the Jews and Israel because he's desperately hoping to prevent Jesus from returning to them. But of course, it's impossible for Satan to annihilate God's people or to stop God's end time program. In the midst of all this, we're trying to raise children and grandchildren in this ungodly, bizarre, vexing, and lawless atmosphere of the last days. But we can take heart that God's truth will prevail soon in the end. So in the midst of all the degeneration and evil that's being called good, what is our duty as believers? Well, our commission doesn't change. No matter how much society changes and laws change and society degenerates, we must be faithful to God's word and never be complicit with sin. Jesus said in Matthew 18, 7, Alas, woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble. Jesus said stumbling blocks are inevitable in a world that's contaminated by sin. But he said, woe to the person through whom these stumbling blocks come. Jesus meant that there will always be something to tempt or try to ambush us, but anyone who instigates the sin is asking for trouble with God. Whether or not a Christian or, or a Christian organization is obedient to God's command to disassociate ourselves from sin will determine the vitality and the authenticity of our spiritual life professing followers of the Lord who side with social pressure will become indistinguishable from the world. So I'm challenging myself and you. Is there enough evidence in our lives to convict us of being a true believer? There's much talk about fake news, but what about fake believers? Those who refuse to compromise truth will suffer consequences at the hands of the world. But those who remain steadfast and obedient to God's word will shine as authentic believers. So we can only ask God for more and more grace 
that his light and love will shine brightly in us to be authentic while the apostasy increases. As Jesus said in John 14, 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he promises, I will love him and manifest myself, meaning I will reveal myself to him. The Hebrew for Christians website notes that the Greek word for manifest in this verse means to shine inwardly, indicating that there's a manifestation, an inward light of the divine presence within born-again believers. Indeed, the Hebrew word for praise, tehillah, comes from a verb, halal, that means to shine, from which we also derive the word halo. Similarly, the word aura comes from the Hebrew word or, meaning light. Therefore, Jesus taught in Matthew 5, 16, to let the inner light that's manifested within us to shine before others so that they may see our good works and give glory to our Heavenly Father. Amen. Well, my friends, even the leftists, progressives, and the Green Party people are espousing beliefs that this world can't continue forever. Although they don't know, it's because we're experiencing the birth pangs of Messiah's return. They just think the planet is doomed. But the Bible teaches us not to be distracted by all of that because God is going to renovate this planet in the future. I received an email from Andrew Strom's revival list concerning prophecies of the end times that were given in Norway back in 1968 by an elderly and godly woman who was 90 years old when she experienced a vision from God. This was 51 years ago. An evangelist conducted meetings where she lived and he had the opportunity to meet her and to interview her. She told him what she'd seen in visions. The evangelist wrote down the conversation and put his notes away in a drawer. He said the Norwegian woman was a very alert, reliable, credible Christian with a good reputation among all who knew her. She was born in 1878 and had lived through two world wars, but she told the evangelist that she'd seen a vision of the time just prior to the return of Jesus and the outbreak of the Third World War. She said, I saw the events and visions before my natural eyes. I saw Scandinavia and the nations, and I saw certain things that would take place just before the return of Jesus and just before the last calamity happens. A calamity, she said, the likes of which we've never experienced. She mentioned four waves. First, she said, before Jesus comes and before a Third World War breaks out, there will be a detente like we've never had before. There'll be a long peace between the superpowers in the East and the West. She emphasized it would be a very long peace. And remember, her vision was related in 1968 when the Cold War was at its height. She said during this long period of peace, there will be disarmament in many countries. And so the world simply will not be prepared when war does come. A second wave, she said, will be a lukewarmness without parallel that will take hold of Christians. A following away from true living Christianity. Churchgoers will not be open for soul-penetrating preaching. 
They won't want to hear about sin and grace, law, gospel, repentance, restoration. Instead, they will substitute solid Bible preaching with prosperity, happiness, Christianity. The important thing will be to have success, to be somebody, to gain material possessions, to gain things that God never promised us. Churches and prayer houses will be emptier and emptier. And instead of biblical preaching to take up our cross daily and follow Jesus, entertainment, art, culture will invade the churches and replace gatherings for repentance and revival. This lukewarmness will increase markedly just before the return of Jesus, she said. And hasn't this surely come to pass? Thirdly, the old Norwegian lady spoke of something else that has come to pass, the moral degeneration that previous generations in her country had not tolerated or experienced, such as people living together without the benefit of marriage. And she foresaw much uncleanness and much infidelity in marriage becoming the norm and sin being justified from every angle. She said Christians will pet their sins. She also said just before Jesus' return, there will be TV programs like we've never experienced. TV will be filled with horrible violence, teaching people to murder and destroy each other. And our streets will be unsafe. People will copy what they see on TV and use violence for entertainment. Has this come to pass? She said the most intimate sex scenes will also be shown on the screen. And at the time, the minister who was interviewing the old lady protested because he said, but we have a law in our country that forbids this kind of thing. But the old woman said, it will happen. God showed me and you will see it. All previous restraints will be broken down and the most indecent things will pass before the eyes of the people. Well, in 1968, the elderly woman of God also foresaw a fourth trend. She saw the mass immigration to Western nations. She said people from poor countries will stream into Europe. And in 1968, there was no such thing as immigration like we see today. She said immigrants will also flood Scandinavia. There will be so many of them that people will begin to dislike them. She said, then suddenly Jesus will come before the Third World War breaks out. It will be a short war. She must have been referring to the rapture. And then she said, this Third World War is going to be unlike any war that has ever happened and that it will involve nuclear warfare. And she says that the fallout will be so polluted that people cannot breathe. Only a remnant will remain, she said. And the remnant in the wealthy countries will try to flee to the poor countries, but they'll be as hard on us as we were on them, she said. And she added, I won't live to see all of this, but you will. The evangelist said tears streamed down the old woman's cheeks. And she said, I'm so glad I won't see it. But when the time draws near, you must take courage and tell this to the people. She said, I've received it from God and nothing of what I've shared goes against the Bible. And she added that the one who has his sins forgiven and who has Jesus as Savior and Lord will be safe. And to that, I say amen and amen. 
And so now I have to ask, are you prepared for the difficult days ahead? The old lady didn't foresee any revivals in her visions. She only saw apostasy in the great tribulation after the rapture. But I know for a fact that pockets of great revival are possible in the midst of perilous times, because by the grace of God, I've been participating in various revivals over the last 40 years in Arabia, Africa, and Asia. The Holy Spirit is being poured out in many places. But here's the crucial question we have to ask as we see the world growing darker prior to the second coming. In Luke 13, verse 23, someone had the presence of mind to ask Jesus a very vital question. Lord, he asked, are only a few people going to be saved? What a great question. The Bible doesn't tell us who asked the question. It was just somebody in the crowds following Jesus. But what a great question. And the gospel writers thought it was important enough to record Jesus's answer. We need to study the Lord's reply, because if you ask the average person on the street about salvation, they'll give you their opinion that most people are going to end up in heaven. In fact, I've never attended a funeral in which the officiating minister said that he believed the person went to hell. The world wants to believe that hell is reserved only for arch criminals like Hitler. But the question remains, will everybody go to heaven in the end? Or did Jesus teach that only a minority will be saved? We need to get to grips with the Lord's answer. Beginning with verse 24, Jesus said, strive. And that word in the Greek is agonize. He said, strive, agonize, make every effort to enter through the narrow gate. For many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able. And he said, after the master of the house gets up and shuts the door, you will stand outside knocking and saying, Lord, open the door for us. But he will reply, I don't know where you're from. Then you will say, but we ate and drank with you and you taught in our streets. And he will answer, I tell you, I don't know where you're from. Depart from me, all you evildoers. And chillingly, he said, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourself are thrown out. People will come, Jesus said, from east and west and north and south and recline at table in the kingdom of God. That's the answer Jesus gave to somebody in the crowd who asked, will only a few people be saved? And this is not my opinion. This is the Lord's own word on the matter. Who are we going to believe? Jesus, Yeshua, sets before us a narrow way. And in Matthew 7, 13, he also said that most people are traveling life on a broad road that leads to destruction. He said that those that go the broad way are many, and those that go the straight and narrow path are few. So statistically speaking, Jesus solemnly taught that there is a significant number of people who apparently are not going to make it. If they died today without repenting, they would perish on the highway to hell. Jesus said that once the master of the house has shut the door, you're finished. You're out. He is the door. Go to him now. Don't knock and cry later and say, Lord, open to us. 
I want to emphasize that Jesus said he is the door, but there is coming a time when he said the door will be shut and then people will be banging on the door and saying, Lord, Lord, let us in. And he claims he doesn't know them. In other words, he never had a real relationship with any of them. And they said, but we ate at your table. This is a reference, I believe, to the Lord's table. And sometimes in church, I watch streams of people going up, receiving Holy Communion. And I can't help but wonder how many of them really know the Lord. It's scary to me. But I'm not just looking at them. I also have to examine myself to see if I'm really in the faith. Because Jesus will say to many, I never knew you. And then he described where they're going as a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. I heard a preacher say that the gnashing of teeth is a metaphor for human fury, for condemned sinners grinding their teeth, growling at God, how dare you condemn me to hell? The anger of the damned will know no bounds. But who are the weepers? The weepers are those who claim to be pious and religious, but who didn't really know Jesus or obey him. And hell is such a dreadful place that I have no choice but to believe it exists because Bible scholars say that Jesus taught more about hell than heaven. I deeply care about the destinies of people and I'm concerned about individuals whom I really love, but who somehow casually think that they don't need the Savior. They think they can do it my way. In fact, the song, My Way, is the theme song of hell because Jesus said he is the only way, the truth and the life. He says no one comes to the Father except through him. So tonight, when you put your head on the pillow, I'm asking you to ask the Lord, am I on the broad road that leads to destruction? Please tell me, Lord, or am I really among the remnant on the straight and narrow path that leads to life? This is very sobering talk. So I want to leave you with the good news of salvation. And the good news is that all, the Bible says, all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And all means all, including you, no matter what your religious or cultural background is. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that everyone who believes in him shall not perish, but will have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him, through Jesus. And more good news is that once you're saved, Jesus promises that the evil one cannot snatch us out of his hand. This is good news indeed. But the Lord must be received now in this lifetime before it's too late. I urge you to do what I've done to repent of all of our sins and call upon the name of the Lord Jesus, Yeshua the one and only mediator between God and man. Ask him to be your Savior and Lord and get to know him now so in the future you won't hear those terrible words, depart from me, I never knew you. Amen. Well, in the meantime, I want to encourage you that all of our video teachings for your edification are available free to watch at our website, exploits.tv. Our teachings are there to strengthen your faith and you can also click online to receive our free color magazine exploits. The word exploits is based upon Daniel 11:32. 32. 
That verse declares that the people who know their God will be strong and take action, carrying out exploits. In other words, we're going to accomplish the works of the Lord in our generation, despite the perilous times. You'll also find details of our life-changing Holy Land tours and prayer conferences at our website. We lead insiders tours to Israel at least three times a year, and they are so much fun and life-changing. So let's stay in touch through social media, and don't forget to invite your friends to watch our programs. And do upload our Jerusalem Channel app on your phone or tablet. It's free from the app stores. And so until next time, always contending for the faith and praying earnestly for the peace of Jerusalem, I'm Christine Darg. Shalom and Maranatha. All aboard! We're on the little train that goes from Jerusalem's Jaffa Gate and weaves through the sacred old city down to the Western Wall to pray. And we want to invite you to come along and support us financially so that the Jerusalem Channel can continue to move in the presence of God throughout this old city and throughout this nation. Thank you for supporting us, and we invite you to go to the donate page of our website, JerusalemChannel.tv. God bless you out of Zion.